You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for December 27th, 2020, the first Sunday after Christmas. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. Nineteen forty-one wasn't a good year for W. H. Auden. His beloved mother had died in August, and just before that, he learned that his partner Chester Coleman, to whom he considered himself married, had been sexually unfaithful to him. When he began later that year, around October, to write his Christmas oratorio entitled "For the Time Being." It had been over a year since France had fallen to Germany. It was just a few months shy of Japan's attack on the United States at Pearl Harbor. Auden's world and the world all around him was coming apart at the seams. And it's in the midst of this world that Auden chose to write a 1,500-something word meditation on the birth of Christ the birth of Christ, into exactly that world. The result is a treasure, I have to say, a modern take on the psychological drama of the Incarnation, which imagines Herod as a bureaucrat worried about the demise of the intelligentsia and the valorization of plebes and the ignorant. Joseph, a bewildered husband, trying to come to grips with a spouse who, at best, if she's telling the truth, has had a liaison with God, and at worst, he shudders to think. The wise men beleaguered travelers far from home who missed their dogs, and us, the readers, those who, saddled with leftovers and hangovers, find ourselves left in a world where, as Auden puts it, the Christmas feast is already a fading memory. The kitchen table exists because I scrub it. And we had forgotten the office. We in 2020 might say Zoom or Teams. We had forgotten the office was as depressing as this. It's from this last section of the poem in which Auden describes his readers that the oratorio takes its title when he observes that to those who had seen the child However dimly, however incredulously, the time being is, in a sense, the most trying time of all. Auden's poem about Christmas is really a poem for the days and the months after Christmas, which makes it perfect for us because we're all so obviously in these pandemic days in the mode of life for the time being. Life until vaccines, until the office reopens, until we can visit our relatives, until, until, until. We're just living for the time being. And Auden's radical suggestion is that it's actually the time being that Christmas changes once and for all. Christmas is a celebration of the Incarnation. Twelve days beginning on the Feast of Christmas that recognize an attempt to etch into our hearts the truth of the words of our Gospel this morning. That the Word became flesh and lived among us. The Word being an English translation of the Greek word logos. 
from which we get our word logic. The logos was something which Greek philosophers thought referred to the divine principle of reason which informed the entire universe in which early Christians, including the author of John, identified with God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what incarnation means. The incarnation means that one of the members of the Trinity, the eternal Son of the Father, became a human and lived among us. It sounds like something really quite extraordinary, and don't get me wrong, it is quite extraordinary, just not in the way that we might have expected. Auden says that we who must die demand a miracle, and the miracle to be sure, is what we got. But a miracle in the form of a baby who needed to nurse and whose diapers needed changing. A little boy who had to learn to walk and to count to 100 and to make subjects and verbs agree. This was the world that God came to save. This was the life that God, it seems, was just itching to live. It being the thought of some theologians, including me, for whatever it's worth, that the Incarnation was not just a remedy for sin. It was not just something to fix the trouble of the world. Rather, the Incarnation was something God had intended to do all along, regardless of whether we had sinned or not. That God created the world in part in order to live in it among us. So that not just this little boy, but each one of us, indeed the whole of creation from the Alps to the Adams, might become the temple of his presence. The Christians worship the God who wanted to do the dishes and fold the laundry, to dance and to eat and plant flowers in the backyard. The, the God who wanted to live in what Auden calls the world of the flesh. And the God who resolved to do so, even when it became obvious that because of sin, living so would involve not just singing, but suffering. And this turned out to be just the way God ended up saving us. By restoring every part of the human experience, even death, to relationship with God by God's own living of it. Quelling temptation by being tempted, conquering death by dying, and consecrating joy by rejoicing. The incarnation changed everything. And this is just the realization that Auden puts particularly in the, into the mouth of Simeon. Simeon, recall, was the old man whom Jesus, Mary, and Joseph met in the temple when they took Jesus to be circumcised, the one who was promised that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Auden imagines that Simeon, picking the little child up, says this, 
Because of his visitation, we may no longer desire God as if he were lacking. Our redemption is no longer a question of pursuit, but of surrender to him who is always and everywhere present. Therefore, at every moment, we pray that following him, we may depart from our anxiety into his peace. What I take it, Simeon, means is that God is no longer out there as something to be chased after. The spiritual life is no longer something other than our day-to-day lives. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, making the world of the flesh, this world of hospital beds and Zoom meetings and telemarketers and Star Wars and football games, a highway to Him. It can seem as though Christmas... It's supposed to be a time of miracles. It can seem that Christmas Day is supposed to be a day of miracles, and I really do think that it is. But if you limit yourself to Norman Rockwell and the Hallmark Channel, you could get very much the wrong idea about the kind of miracles I'm talking about. You could get the idea that Christmas Day is a single span of 24 hours on which your long-lost love finally acknowledges their deeply buried feelings for you, and parents and children suddenly get along and snowfall somehow without ever causing any power outages. I think that when we're little, we learn to fix our hopes on the magic of finally getting whatever it is we've asked Santa for under the tree, and that as we get older, It's tempting to impose those same desires or more complex ones like finding a job or reconciling with lost friends or making up for missed family time or just being happy. We are tempted to impose desires of that kind even onto God rather than Santa Claus at Christmas. And if all doesn't work out as we desired, if we don't get what it was that we asked for, explicitly or implicitly, it can be something of a letdown the day after. Now, I hope that your Christmas is all that you wanted it to be. I have to say, Jewel and I had, a, had an incredibly lovely day. But if you're like me, lovely day or not, there was one little thought that had snuck into the back, kind of crept into the back, not so much of your mind, but really your heart. You didn't even know that it was there until, <laughs> until after Christmas was over, sometime in the middle of yesterday around noon. This little thought that Christmas, the day of dreams come true, was going to somehow settle the business of the pandemic, release us from the bonds of social distancing, alleviate sick bodies and lonely souls. And when much to our dismay, we find the time being waiting for us on the other side of Christmas instead. Pandemic still there. Kids eventually returning to socially distanced or virtual school. More Zoom meetings, God forbid, to attend. More frightening headlines to read. We're tempted to think the whole thing a sham. Not just the Norman Rockwell bit, but the whole of it including our gospel this morning. We're tempted, that is, to believe that the miracle didn't happen, or at the very least, that it didn't happen 
this Christmas. And that's just what I want you to know isn't true. I want for you to know that the miracle did happen. No matter what kind of Christmas you had, whether it was lovely or disappointing or you're just not sure, I want for you to know that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and that His glory is the glory of a dog licking your face, the smell of coffee brewing in the morning, the bouquet of a really good glass of wine or the smoke which billows up like an invisible cloud from the bottom of a whiskey glass. It's holding hands and extra marshmallows in your hot chocolate and the dizzying euphoria of dancing and the way your spine tingles when you hear really, really good music or the way that you cried when Old Yeller died or you yearned for Elizabeth and Darcy to finally get together. This world, this life of the flesh, this was God's glorious intent. It is God's glory. And every bit of it, from top to bottom, from beginning to end, no matter how boring or lonely or painful or happy or splendid, is an opportunity to meet him, to meet him who dwells among you still by the power of his Spirit. Auden was right. Nothing needs to have changed for it to have been Christmas. Not because, not because Christmas changed nothing, but because it changed everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.